Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, we started a show this morning... And we were talking about uh, the different sexes, male and female, and uh, there seems to be a lot of confusion about that, or at least dysphoria, if not confusion altogether. And, of course, that's always in the news. But uh, one of the things that uh, we were pointing out, and it's always good to review it, is in the story of the Bible, there are, you know, it's the Bible even says that it, it's an allegory. There are allegories in there. There's some historical facts. There are some allegories. There's parables. There's lots and lots of metaphors. The whole Hebrew language is just full of metaphors. We use them all the time. Uh, metaphors when we're talking about somebody, he's as solid as a rock. Well, he isn't actually solid as a rock. He's not made out of stone. But that's a metaphor trying to tell you that he is solid, dependable kind of guy. And um, so we have these metaphors, they have those metaphors and uh, they have allegories in their language and very pictorial in the way in which they present things. So therefore, there could be a lot of misinterpretations in the Bible. So in the story of Adam and Eve, what's the problem with Adam and Eve? They were given dominion over the planet. Over the fish, over the wildlife, of the birds and everything. And their dominion was for the purposes of dressing and keeping it. Taking care of it. And keeping it as if somebody else wanted it or to take it away from them. And uh, this was what was given to Adam and Eve. Were there other people on the planet? Well, later on, Cain seems to take two wives that come out of nowhere and, of course, we also know that uh, Adam and Eve were to be fruitful and multiply, and they were made from the Adama, the the red clay, and uh, that term was also used in reference to people. So, was there other people? Who knows? And is it really important? What's really important is that we were not to eat of some sort of source which trees were sources of things, sources of wood, sources of uh, food, the sources of shelter. So wood, trees were a source in their language and we were not to eat of a source where we were deciding good and evil. Where we could say this is true and that is not true because, not because it's not true, but because I say it so. Today, pervasive throughout education and certain philosophies that are wandering around on the face of the earth and become very prominent is that you have your truth, I have my truth, and there is no real truth. There is only whatever we think there is. That's the knowledge of good and evil. You get to say that something's true that just ain't so, but because you say it, we all have to go along with your delusion. And, of course, we see that in the distinguishing of sex. Somebody was just uh, posting on a, a group uh, in a local community and they were talking, if you think there's only two sexes, you need to do more reading. Well, if you think there is a multiplicity of genders, 
you probably have done too much reading in the wrong places and you need to do more reading too. Or maybe you just need to want to know the whole truth and provide for it at whatever cost. But that we're not going to deal with her delusion. We're going to try to get past the delusion that has brought the whole world to the brink of destruction. We've done this before and now we're doing it again and uh, we've laid that out in the previous program. So if you haven't heard the previous program, you'll have to join the network and then they will send it to you in nine days uh, because that's when we release the program this morning. This program will be available pretty quick on the network, but uh, you need to be along to the network because there's a lot of other explanation. I just can't get into an hour or two hour show. And so we usually have web pages and I mentioned one this morning. You can go to preparingyou.com and look up the page woman. We have a lot on the difference between man and woman and mankind and and all that kind of thing. Because woman is a part of mankind and man is a part of mankind because they are both man. It's just that there's a man and there is a woman. And so that's that that is an inclusive term, mankind. So we were going through a particular book that's just kind of the epitome of what we're dealing with today. Uh, in this delusional approach to the relationship of men and women, you know, and feminists or militant feminists, I don't know, you know, the term feminist is kind of undefined. It's all over the place in definitions. But the Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote this book, Eat, Pray, Love, and somebody made a movie about it and everything. And uh, she also wrote another book, which is kind of her memoirs, and she called it uh, uh, Committed... A skeptic makes peace with marriage, and she falls in love with somebody named Felipe, uh, or Felipe, in the book, and um, he gets in trouble with immigration, and so he can't come into the country anymore unless he they get married, and then he can get a different kind of visa. And so anyway, they get married, and uh, she was against getting married. They agreed not to marry, but then in order to get past this visa thing, they had to get married. So she wrote, writes this book, chapter three, tells a lot about her perception of marriage and she talks about Christianity and that Christ kind of did away, you know, marriage was always polygamous in the Bible, you know, most always and all this stuff. Actually, it was very rare to find polygamy in the Bible. That's that's not the way it was. And almost everywhere you find polygamy in the Bible, uh, it's by mistake. And, uh, or it's, you know, when I say by mistake, it, it leads to bad things. It's not a good thing. Uh, and uh, the reality is, is, you know, if you just put billions of people on earth with no rules, no no customs of what is customary, what is right, what is should be done. All chaos is likely to break out. And immediately out of that chaos will come order, as people say. You know, it doesn't work out well when we're all just sleeping around. And women are having children, but they don't even know who the father is. And uh, who's going to support these kids? And, and uh, who's going to take care of them? You know, in some places, in some communities, they get taken care of. You know, and the, but there's still this thing of envy and jealousy and whose kid is it? And is, is it my kid? Is it your kid? Who, you know, what about inheritance? Well, when you have nothing but a loincloth and a handful of tools, 
maybe it doesn't really matter. But as you become a farmer and you have a silo and you have cows and sheep and stuff, who gets them when you die? Because you're going to die. And it's going to go down to who? It should go to your family. This doesn't go back to the community pot. And then who gets to decide how to distribute that wealth amongst the community? Should be the person who produced it, right? That seems fair. Isn't that, you know, control of uh, the means of production? Should be in the hands of the people. Well, that is in the kingdom of God. It's in the hand of the individual who produced it. You know... The production, you know, made the production, was productive. He gets to decide how to distribute it. He can only do that in a capitalist society, which was why Christ was a capitalist. Christ was not a socialist. And same kind of people come up with the idea that there's a multiplicity of genders are the same kind of people that come up with the idea that Christ was a socialist. And Elizabeth came up with the idea that Christ was doing away with this institution of marriage. That it wasn't important. His apostles were pushing celibacy. Even Christ was pushing celibacy because he never married. Why do you say he never married? Because early church fathers wrote about the fact that he did marry and had many children after the resurrection. And uh, what was that all about? Well, did he? You know, it's not a question of faith. It's not in the biblical text, although there is some things in the biblical text that are kind of interesting, going along with other writings of the times, way back in that era, that it is likely that Jesus did get married. You don't have to believe it, but he never. One thing we do know from the biblical text is he didn't say anything against being married. He didn't tell anybody to be celibate. As a matter of fact, one of the first places you see him doing miracles is while he's attending the marriage. And they use the metaphor of marriage uh, in, in, you know, the bride of Christ and and uh, not having wedding garments. And we talked about that in the, our study on Malachi. And actually, I put up another page on wedding garments and linked it to some of our other Pages on breaches. The people were supposed to sew the underwear, the breaches of the Levites. Well, of course, they weren't sewing their underwear. That's not what it was about. It's a metaphor of giving them covering. And, of course, when we go back to Adam and Eve, where Adam and Eve screwed up, they were told to dress it and keep it. That was their commandment. And to be fruitful and multiply. And so that's... You know, and one man, one woman, that's the, the, the design that they put together. And, uh, it was Cain who went and took two wives. And Cain was already had to go out of the presence of God to do it. So the idea that, uh, somehow or other that, that there's something wrong with the institution of marriage and Christianity says so is, is patently ridiculous. And, you know, we touched a little bit on some of the, you know, Second Corinthians where Paul talks about women in certain places in the church to keep quiet and what does that mean and sounds kind of rude the way it's translated. It doesn't really mean that. But throughout the Bible, women are very important. Abigail, Deborah, even Delilah, who's not a good woman, but Esther, look at, she saved a whole nation. Eve certainly is important. She screwed up, but so did Adam screw up. And the thing is, we're all screwing up the same 
way now. Men are still not taking responsibility for what they did wrong. And women aren't always being as honest as they should be about certain things that they should be more honest about. And uh, But the reality is God made man and woman for a purpose that's part of the design. And what can we learn from the design? And we touched on that this morning. But again, there's all kinds of women in the Bible. Rachel, Rebecca, uh, of course there's Jezebel, Leah, Martha. All these women have an importance. Mary Magdalene, uh, who may actually be uh, the Mary of, you know, Martha and Lazarus' sister. We we think of Mary Magdalene as a separate woman, but if you look at the earliest text and and the fragments of the, you know, even earlier text, it leads you to believe that Mary Magdalene might have actually been uh, Mary, the daughter of Simon, uh, the jar maker, who is Simon the leper. But most people don't go into the in-depth studies. They got somebody just telling them what the good news is, and they believe them. Kind of like they do with CNN and CBS and all these other alphabet letter media outlets. They tell you, oh, this is bad, this is good, and everybody believes it, and they don't do their own research. Well, we do a lot of research and bring it to you. But if you go back to the very beginning, Genesis 2, 23, Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, a lot of women might take affront at that, but they shouldn't because, again, they're explaining a relationship here. Every man you know is out of a woman. We're not complaining about it. (laughs) It's just, the point is, this is a mutual symbiotic relationship. There aren't going to be any men and women unless men and women get together and become one flesh. Which, of course, we see in Matthew 10, 5. And said, who said? Jesus said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh those two shall be one flesh the family the relationship of husband and wife the agreement to marry and be married is between a man and a woman and it incorporates them so they are no longer twain but one That is God's corporation, the family. It was designed that way from the beginning. And that's that's what Jesus said. You can see in uh, chapter 19, verse 6, he says, Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. In the Old Testament, you could get married two ways. And, uh, like the one tradition is under a canopy or with witnesses and exchange of vows and gifts and all that kind of stuff. And there'll be all kinds of people there that will grant you gifts to start you out on your wedded bliss and start your family out because another family in the community was an asset. And it would be, they did this openly in front of everybody because it was the job of the whole community to help protect that union, provide for that union. Of course, if the husband died and he had children, then 
Other members of the family would step in and make sure those children were raised up. If there weren't other members of the family, then the community would step in and help the widow and the orphans grow up and make sure that everything that belonged to the father and the mother as a family, all those gifts that you gave, maybe you gave a land, maybe you gave a house, maybe you gave cattle, maybe you gave sheep, maybe you gave bags of grain or seed grain, everything that you gave them was going to go to those kids. And as those kids grew up, they could redistribute them in charity amongst the community. And then the community would look at those kids and the, those parents as a blessing on the community. And when there were hard times, they would do what they could to see that they survived. This was a culture of charity and sacrifice for in, for one another because you loved your neighbor. This is how you create a free society. Anything less than that will not. And you can read Mark 10 uh, verse 8 and 9, they pretty much say the same thing. They go on in verse uh, 10 of Mark 10. And in the house, his disciples asked him again of the same matter, of this idea of marrying and divorcing. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now, against who? Adultery against each other. They, they have made an agreement to stick it out in this life. And this was very important for the stability of society. We now supposedly have stability of society because you don't need your parents to take care of you or you take care of your pants, parents. The state will do all that. And we say, well, that's way better because the state has all this money, but the state doesn't have all this money. It's borrowing all the money it's using to take care of your parents and to take care of your children and provide you with all these benefits, which the Bible refers to as the wages of unrighteousness. So anyway, the point is, is that Jesus was very much in favor of marriage. He says that was an institution from the beginning. And and Paul says the same thing. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, which means sacrifice for them. So lots of the things that we went over in this morning's program, we went over a lot of our popular quotes that uh, from her book, this uh, commitment book. And uh, But I wanted to make it clear that from the beginning, And through Christ, marriage was an institution of Christ. Now, Christ created another institution. It's really not a new institution. Like the church in the wilderness, the called out in the wilderness, which was the Levites, Christ called out certain men to be over certain business. What business is that? National charity. Individually, we have to love our neighbor. And the word there, love, is also the word charity. It just depends on where it's translated in the Bible. And, you know, when Paul uses it, they most often translate it charity. When Christ uses it, they most often translate it love. But love is sacrifice. Take care of children. Take care of your wife. Take care of your husband. Requires you to sacrifice your time, your energy, your life for somebody else. This is essential to avoiding depression. Uh, avoiding anxiety. You have to live your life for others to have life more abundant. If you don't, you will be plagued with depression. It's not hereditary any more than sin is hereditary. But that proclivity of not 
caring for other people, caring for your children. You watch how it matures young people. They're irresponsible and they're partying around and all of a sudden they're going to have a child. And this changes them. Of course, it helps if their parents had sacrificed for them. But if they were sent away to public school every day for, you know, 300 days out of the year or whatever it amounts to, they don't see the sacrifices of their parents. I, in the old days, your parents were working right there in the same house. You saw them sweat. You saw them exhausted. You saw them tired. You saw them, you know, bleeding and struggling to make a living for you. And you would do the same. And honoring their father and their mother, that means taking care of them. But the government of Judea created a system through the Pharisees that made the word of God to none effect. The word of God was that you were to care for your parents, take care of them, fatten them. That's what honor means, to take care of them. So that your days would be long upon the land because you take care of your parents, your kids see it, they take care of you, and your days will be long upon the land. If your kids don't see you taking care of your parents... They may not want to take care of you. Well, that's where you've gone for the last hundred years because you've been listening to brutish pastors who haven't been preaching the gospel of the kingdom, been allowing you to engage in covetous practices and run up huge, giant debts uh, for your community because you are all surety for debts. And you've been operating by debt because none of you are Sabbath keepers. Sabbath keepers has nothing to do with counting days on a calendar. I say this over and over again. We have whole articles that explain this. It has to do with the way. You work first and then you enjoy the fruits of your labor. You can only do that in capitalism because in socialism the fruits of your labor will be taken away from you by men who exercise authority one over the other. You say, well, we will elect those men and we will make sure they don't take too much. No, you will not. You you may for a while, but it will weaken your society more and more and more. And before you know it, you'll have hordes of people moving into your communities and into your nation, and they will take over and they will raise, and you won't know how to stop them. You won't know how, because you don't know how to come together and take care of one another in times of peace, so you will not know how to come together and take care of one another through times of war. And times of invasion and times of robbery and thieves. So anyway, I read a bunch of her quotes and we were in one when uh, we came to the end of the show. We had a lot of interruptions, terrible storm and wind and power outages and computer problems. But anyway, we'll try to get through these through the rest of this show. We're almost halfway through now. One quote from her book, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Committed. My love affair with him, meaning this fellow that she fell in love with. Uh, second time around, or I don't know, second or third time around, she ended up divorcing him too. And uh, now she's evidently in a lesbian relationship, I guess. That's what it appears from Wikipedia anyway. It says, My love affair with him had a wonderful element of romance to it, which I will always cherish, but it was not infatuation and here's how I can tell because I did not demand that he become my great emancipator or my source of all life nor did I immediately vanish into the man's chest cavity like a twisted unrecognizable parasitical homonoculus during our long period of courtship I remained intact within my own 
personality and I allowed myself to meet him for who he was. They weren't married. (laughs) They weren't one flesh. They weren't in a common commitment of survival in a difficult world. You know, the examples I gave this morning of the husband and wife with a child walking down the street and somebody attacked them and the wife protects the child and the husband jumps in front of the attacker and is stabbed and fights them off to protect the wife and the child. What would they do? Would they defend each other? Maybe that was some of the, as she said, crap that was in him that she thought she could work around. (laughs) That is a recipe for disaster. I've seen it so many times over. No, this commitment of sacrifice for the other. Now, it is true, absolutely true, that if the husband is selfish and the wife is totally sacrificing her life, her choices, her decisions, then... You're not going to have a good relationship. You're not going to have a true husband and wife relationship. He's not a husband unto her. Husband takes care of his wife, takes care of his family. He's concerned about physical needs, emotional needs. He wants to strengthen her, though. He doesn't want to weaken her. If he's a narcissist, well, you're going to get a different result. And we've had lots of shows on narcissists because there's a lot of narcissists around. Again, you don't get married for what you can get, but what you can give. And you don't want to give to your spouse in a way that weakens your spouse. You want to give to your spouse in a way that strengthens your spouse. When you know how to do that, you will raise better children because you do not want to weaken your children. You don't want to be a helicopter mom and you don't want to be a helicopter wife or you don't want to be a narcissistic, overbearing abusive, oppressive husband. You're a team. You're one flesh. Does a body war against itself? Well, if it has autoimmune diseases, yeah, it probably will. But you've probably done something to traumatize your body if that is the case. And the same with your marriage. You've done something to traumatize your marriage or the true marriage relationship. And you need to get that down in order to create a free society. Because if you want to oppress a society, first you oppress the women. And then that will move you over to an area where you get to, the women get to oppress the men. In a civil society, happens every day. Can't see the kid, can't be near my kid. You, you gotta have, you gotta pay me alimony, you gotta do all this stuff. And men get raked over the coals in the courts. It's all because there's a lack of love and forgiveness. Every healthy marriage, she writes, is composed of walls and windows. The windows are the aspect of your relationship that are open to the world. That is the necessary gaps through which you interact with family and friends. The walls are the barriers of trust behind which you guard the most intimate secrets of your marriage. Well, I don't know about that. We have walls. We have people. Family comes over. They come right in the walls. <laughs> I mean, we have certain privacy and everything, but uh, uh, that is not always the case. We we share our lives. We did it when our children were younger. We do it when our children are older. And when we're really old, we hope they'll share a little bit with us. <laughs> But that's what makes a stronger community. 
not, nothing against walls. It's just where you put them. Nothing against barriers of trust. That's absolutely a good thing. But if you really have barriers of trust, you will know that this husband is going to stick it out with you to the end. And this wife is going to stick it out with her husband to the end. And not n- nothing should come between that. And it's the same thing with community, that community helps one another. You're going to stick it out. Now, you could bind the community together with a golden calf. And those of you who are first time listening to this, you need to go and find out what a golden calf. Go to Preparing You and look it up. We hope to have all those articles over at hisholychurch.org, too, if we get somebody to help us do it. Because uh, it's all doable now. The articles are there. On preparing you, we just turn them into PDFs and move them over, but we want the links to go back and forth like they do. And uh, then we'll have it in multiple places so that multiple people can look up different things. Anyway, the the point is, is that the golden calf was meant to bind the people together by binding their wealth together. It was the one purse that Proverbs talks about that runs towards evil. You don't want that. But in the family, you kind of have one purse because you're in it together because you're not multiple people. See, you want to be able to come together and each family keeps its autonomy. And uh, yeah, there could be a husband who abuses his wife. He makes her work and he goes off and gets drunk or goes plays video games and she has to take care of the kids and take care of the breadwinner and all that kind of stuff. Those abusive relationships are created out there in the world. That's not what you want. That's not what is advocated in Christianity. And eventually that family will fall on hard times. And I know people that have done that. And the kids needed to help because the husband wasn't around at all anymore. And local community would help them. I'm old enough to remember when that used to happen. But now everybody just goes to the government. Well, that makes the government your father and the government... Stronger and stronger and the people weaker and weaker. Until you suddenly wake up one morning and there are tyrants on board. Anyway, she also writes, Then again, you cannot stop the flood of desire as it moves through the world. Inappropriate though it may sometimes be, it is the prerogative of all humans to make ludicrous choices to fall in love with the most unlikely partners and to set themselves up for more predictable, uh, the most predictable of calamities. Well, that's absolutely true. But if you are living a life where you're seeking that Holy Spirit of life, And living by those virtuous principles repeated over and over again in sacred texts in many religions. And you really make a commitment to this individual. Of course, now you have to remember Philippe and and Elizabeth. I don't think they ever had kids. They were, I don't know why. Maybe they were just too selfish. Maybe they just were unable to. Maybe they just didn't want to or whatever. But uh, the purpose of marriage is to further society, to continue society. It isn't just to have fun. It's to actually produce something of value. See, now she hasn't got to 70 yet. And when she's 70, 
she's not probably if she hadn't had kids i don't know if she has there's no mention anywhere that i could see in what i did read but where are kids where are grandkids they're not going to be she's just going to grow old and die but she'll probably you know making enough money off these books but uh the people who believe this stuff in her books they're going to grow old and die too and it's it's a very lonely world when you have no family and you know like i ha- i have brothers who have no children they should probably spend more time with their nieces and nephews helping their nieces and nephews grow into strong healthy people and then the children of their nieces and nephew will become their great nephews and great niece that's not just a label you write on a name it's it's the extension of sacrifice that comes when you spend time caring about others rather than just caring about yourself and what you feel, what you get. That is not, that does not work. It doesn't work in the herds and the fields and it doesn't work amongst the herds of mankind. She also writes, as I got older, I discovered that nothing within me cried out for a baby. So here she has said, my womb did not seem to have come equipped with the famous ticking clock. Unlike so many of my friends, I did not ache with longing whenever I saw an infant. Though I did ache with longing, it is true, whenever I saw good used book shop. So she will have her books to keep her company and no children. So I guess... That seems to work for now. I do not think that will work forever. And I think that's a pretty selfish approach. I think that it's very important that we generate the next generation. And if you have something to offer, again, love is, you know, here's a phrase that we've heard many times. You know, people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. What do you need the people for? Why do you need people? I need people so that I can exercise my prerogative to help other people. I don't need people for what they can give me. I need people because I know how important it is to give to others. Of course, I give them the truth and I'll give them a kick in the pants when they need that. I'll, I'll give them a good scolding when they're being foolish. But I do it because I don't want to see them suffer the pain of a foolish life, of a wasted life, of a life that never gave life to anybody else. She writes her books, but her books are full of inconsistencies and fallacies and false narratives, especially about Christianity, which is, I'm an expert on Christianity because <laughs> I've read both sides for thousands of years of literature. And uh, I see the process of what I'm looking at. And I pray about it, and I ponder it, and I want to know the truth. Unfortunately, not everybody wants to know the truth. She goes on to say, because I know something that you don't know, I know that this is the worst experience of your life. But I also know that someday you'll move past it and you'll be fine. And helping somebody uh, like you through the worst experience of her life is incredibly gratifying. 
the fact is, is that, yeah, we want to help people through the hard times, but the reality is, is that when your heart and your mind are in the right place, you may not even realize that you're going through hard times. It will seem natural. It will just be about overcoming whatever wave comes your way, whatever difficulty comes your way. Uh, she goes on to say, these are less popular quotes, in the end it seems to me that forgiveness may be the only realistic antidote we are offered in love to combat the inescapable disappointments of, in, of intimacy. Right on. Of course, I, what did I go through? 30 different quotes before I got to that one. <laughs> it wasn't the most popular one. Forgiveness is key. Why did Christ tell us to forgive? Forgive so that you may be forgiven. One of the things when you begin to explore the depths of your own trauma and your own heart, you, you'll see, I wasn't really fair with that person. I mean, we are addicted to unforgiveness and, and the products of unforgiveness, which is hate and anger and resentment, fear. Maybe that was it. She feared having children. She 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 had the natural inclination, but the fear kept her from entertaining it. And so she substituted with other things. I mean, we see that all the time. A lot of people substitute pets for children. They care more about their pets than their children. They baby their pets more than they baby their children. Because the pets just, you know, it's the old thing, you know, put your put your kid in the trunk of your car and ride around for a couple hours and then let them out and see how, what they like. You take your dog and put them in the trunk for a couple hours and ride around and then let them out. Your dog's going to be happy to see you. Your kids may not be. Try it with your wife and I can guarantee you she's not going to be happy to see you. But uh, the reality is that's the kind of love those people need because they don't have real love. But anyway, more realistic view of this idea of love of spouse, love of the products of your uh, union. I mean, it takes real sacrifice to raise the children of the states trying to leave, alleviate you of that and say, oh, we'll educate them. We'll take your sons and daughters. We'll mold them into good citizens to serve us. You want and then you wonder why your kids are perfectly happy and doing no more for their parents. Because it was the state that taught them. It was the state that provided health care for them. It was the state that uh, gave them everything that they needed and guarantees them to protect them in the case of calamity. The problem is, is that when the state fails you, you will have absolutely nothing to back it up. Neither God nor man will come to your aid. A woman's sense of integrity seems to be entwined with an ethic of care so that to see themselves as women as to see themselves in a relationship of connection. I believe that many modern women, my mother included, carry within them a whole secret New England cemetery wherein they have quietly buried in many neat rows the personal dreams they have given up for their families. Women have a sort of talent 
for changing form, enabling them to dissolve and then flow around the needs of their partners or the needs of their children or the needs of mere quotidian reality. (laughs) They adjust, adapt, and glide, accept. Well, the reality is is that when you're living your life for others, you will live on in those you lived your life for. Yeah, your children will remember. I still tell stories about my grandmother and my grandfather, and I never knew my grandfather. I never even met him. But I heard those stories about his integrity and his honesty. Also about, you know, his shyness. And I also heard about his temper. But I know that these are the the source of my own existence. I did not just spring up out of nothing. I am a product of thousands of people that have gone before me. Am I improving that product? Where's the quality control? The quality control is in sacrifice for others. You cannot be free... If you do not live by the perfect law of liberty and extend that liberty to others. A wife, you know, her dream may be a family. What dreams does, are they really setting aside all their dreams? I don't know a man who hasn't set aside some of his desires. You know, a young, active, intelligent man looking at, well, like I might want to do this. I might want to do that. And then try this and try that. You don't get to do it all. You get to do a lot, but you don't get to do it all. And yes, sacrifice gives life. Lay down your life for others. You will pick up your life more abundantly. Live your life solely for your own self-gratification. What you want, what you need, what you, you will not pick up life more abundant. It's built into nature. And we have these things that, you know, karma, You know, uh, that's one. As you judge, so shall ye be judged. That's Christ. You don't care about others. Do not expect others to care about you. You want to live your life for yourself. You will never have a partner that wants to live his life for you or her. But it doesn't mean just to throw yourself on the altar of self-destruction. You have to know how to live your life for others that makes them stronger. Because I've seen women who weaken their husbands by doing everything for them. Until the the wife has to become the man of the house, the breadwinner of the house, the provider of the house, the disciplinary. Has to do all the stuff herself because she's made her husband so weak because she catered to his weakness and to, instead of uh, encouraging his strength. And there's a way to do that. And if you think about it and imagine, you know, and maybe we should start those calls where people can ask questions. I actually do go on the community calls on Sunday. Uh, sometimes if people want to join us there, I can answer questions there. And hopefully other people will benefit by your questions. Anyway, she goes on to write, The cold, ugly fact is that marriage does not benefit women as much as it benefits men. Well, probably not if the men 
<laughs> marry her because <laughs> maybe not even if they do marry her. The reality is that is the that is the most selfish approach or view of marriage. Marriage is to benefit both of them because they have a common goal, the family. Her common goal is an old bookstore. It's not a it's not the next generation. She's sowing amongst the next generation a protagonistic view of man and woman. Men and women have been a team for thousands of years that has survived on this planet because they work together. They sacrifice for one another. And we, if you, I'm sure it's incorporated in a lot of the radio programs that we already have out there. But there, there is a natural design to creation that gives life. And if you follow that design, more life will come of it. And I'm not just talking about producing the original fetus and child. I'm talking about producing the next generation of strong, single-minded people who apply themselves in a in a productive way and that this is comes from the sacrifices that you make you know when we first started having children we we thought about having children at home you know like people have been doing it for a thousand years why we did that i don't know we first child was born in a hospital second child was born in a hospital i was there at both cases when we tried to find midwives we couldn't find them anywhere Our third child was born in a motel, not far from the hospital. (laughs) But we, we just, to find out how to bear your children yourselves, you know, what's the comedian who said, uh, yeah, we, we had our children at home just to make you feel uncomfortable. We had them at home. We didn't give birth in a field, he says. And, you know, um, I can't remember the comedian right now, but he's a funny guy. You know, he was, uh, I think he ended up with four children still living in an apartment. He was a comedian going all over the place. Almost had his name there for a second. But, uh, anyway, uh, sure a lot of you are thinking it and saying it. Somebody's probably going to text me in a minute. It's not important. <laughs> you know, it's like having, what he was talking about, having a fourth child. It's like you're treading, holding three babies, just keeping your head above the water and somebody hands you another child. <laughs> of course, he, he, you know, he's he's committed to the marriage. He's and his wife seems to be committed to. It. I've never met him or anything, but uh, he's making fun of it. But it doesn't mean it isn't hard. It's difficult, and maybe someday the the his kids will see, you know, what his parents went through. Like I say today, parents go away to work. Kids don't see them working. They might see them coming home, but they don't see them. The the black community today, and we touched on this this morning, 75% of the kids being raised in single-parent families, that is not the result of slavery. It's the result of not taking the responsibility of community. 
It's by looking to the government. It's the government welfare system that has destroyed the black community. And the black community is the canary in the coal mine that tells us what's going to happen and is already happening to the white community and the Asian community that are going towards governments that exercise authority one over the other to provide the benefits of society. Early Christians were setting up a welfare system called pure religion through the called out disciples of Christ who provided health education and welfare for the people when there was need. They were the FEMA of the Christian community, the Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary during famines and pestilence and wars and rumors of war. That's what the church was doing. That's what it was designed to do, to take care of the needy of society through charity, which is love. It was not designed to make you feel good on Sundays or Sabbaths by telling you you're already saved. It was to provide an institution through which you could sacrifice, lay down your life for others that they may have life and in return you end up with life more abundant. It's built in, and we talked about this this morning metaphysically, into the structure of such a society. Your people will see more, understand more, because you will be walking in the righteousness of God. You will be taking care of one another through charity and not through force, which was the sum total of John the Baptist's ministry. Take care of one another through charity. You had two coats, and your neighbor has none shared. Do the same in meats. Do the same in housing. Do the same in everything else. But you do it through charity, not as Christ forbid to men who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves the government, call themselves the benefactors, the socialist state, the welfare state. Christ said it was not to be that way with you. You can't accomplish that unless you have good, strong families. It is not doctrines. It is righteousness we're supposed to be seeking. If your doctrines don't include all the righteousness of Christ, they aren't the doctrines of Christ. Because that's what we're supposed to be seeking. Marriage as an institution, which is two people consenting to be married for the purposes of that union of one man and one woman, that is designed to strengthen both of them and the community round about them. And to offer not only the protection of that wisdom of that union, but the protection of the Holy Spirit that will draw near as you are willing to sacrifice for others, as you cast your bread upon the waters, in hopes that it may come back to you someday. And it will come back to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's built into the system. It's built into reality. But if you don't want to see reality, if you want to think there's a multiplicity of genders and that marriage is about how it makes you feel and churches, if they don't make you feel a certain way, you're not going to go to that church because you actually go there for what you can get. I wasn't getting anything out of that church, so I stopped going. Well, good, because you were going there for the wrong reason anyway. 
You don't go there for what you can get out of it. You go for there for what you can do for others. And if you go there to speak the truth, chances are you'll get kicked out. <laughs> but maybe you'll find a church that wants to hear the truth. But make sure you have the truth by looking deep into your own heart and your own mind to find out what the truth is with you. Because most of you do not know what the truth really is. And that's why you're so easily deceived by the modern media and news and, and, but we're, we're going to be coming up on extremely, I mean extremely hard times. Oh, uh, they're predicting food shortages. They're predicting another plague that's ten times worse than COVID. Of course, COVID was less, <laughs> caused less deaths than the normal flu. The normal flu season. That this was no different than a normal flu season. Now, if you believe what the media is telling you about 500,000 dead from COVID, then you're just too gullible. Because anybody who looks at the way in which they're compiling the data, of course, people don't do that. They just hear, oh, 500,000 dead. Oh, that's terrible. Is it true? <laughs> no, it's not true. They said they told you. We have it on video that they were going to count these deaths different than they'd ever done before. And you can go into the statistics. It's not easy to find because they're covering it up. We know they're covering up. They've admitted, like in New York, they're covering it up. How many people are, would have actually been marked down as dying of heart failure or dying of, uh, well, actually, there has been hypertension, a great deal of hypertension because COVID that has this extra spliced in protein, that protein come in contact with your heart walls, it can cause a thickening. And Fauci knew this. And this is even before the study came out from Georgetown University that was discovering this. And it's not just hypertension, it can cause problems in the liver and pancreas, and of course it can cause abortions. Because it interferes with the placenta, uh, causing this thickening of the wall. Just the presence of the protein that's on the outside of the coronavirus. Well, the new vaccine that they're putting you in, the, the new shot that they're giving you, has that same protein in it. It's going to be causing hypertension, liver problems, pancreas problems, abortion problems. It's already... Babies were aborted just days after the person got the second shot, even though we knew last year that the head of Pfizer was saying nobody should get this shot if they're pregnant or want to become pregnant or want to uh, engage in a sexual relationship that will produce pregnancy or with somebody who may want to become pregnant someday because you are probably imparting the S1 protein through bodily fluids and this will prevent your whoever gets contaminated with those fluids may never ever be able to have children. But there is a large number of people in power today that want to decrease the world population by 60, 80, 90 percent. That's not a good thing but that's their goal. They probably won't achieve it, but many people are going to suffer because of their desire. 
And I don't want to pick on poor Elizabeth Gilbert. She's delusional. There's a lot of delusion going on. She has a dysphoria about marriage. She has a dysphoria and, and a confusion about the role of women and men in the survival of the human species. Remember what that first commandment of God was. Dress it and keep it. Somebody doesn't want you to keep it. They say they want to dress it. They say, you know, global warming, Green New Deal, all this stuff. But who is really behind this? And I'm not even going to tell you. I'll let you find out yourself. It will be revealed eventually what is really going on. But you need to come together with other families. And those other families need to work on their own family and their own marriage, their own lack of virtue, their own impatience, their own... Because as you judge, if you think it's okay to be impatient with everybody else, be unforgiving to everybody else, as you judge, so shall you be judged. You don't want God to be judging you the way you are judging others. So, we have to turn around and go another way. Be a different kind of people. You have to think a different way to do that. And the way that uh, Elizabeth is telling you to think in her book, it's just staggering that somebody has it. Now, I will admit, there was a church established by Constantine. He called it a Christian church. It was not. And um, and exactly where you draw the line between that church and the church today, or the church as intended by Christ, that will take a longer program and more time than we have left. So anyway, what I can say to you is uh, probably peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.